0: If you have your Bibles, are ready for Matthew chapter 16. Um, we left off last week um, in verse number 20. We're going to pick up in verse number 21 today. Hey, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. If you want to borrow one, Mike would be happy to bring you a Bible, loan you a Bible. Um, today I'm going to do something a little bit different. If you guys will bear with me, forgive me a little bit. Be kind to your pastor if you would today. I am going to be flipping through some verses today that I normally don't like to go to that many scripture references in one sermon, but um, today I think Yes, for fun, we're going to do it. I'm um, going to quote my favorite theologian, Nacho Libre. And um, we are going to have some fun today. So be prepared to flip. And again, if you, uh, I use the New King James Version. If you're pulling it up on your, your Bible app, that's the one that you can follow along with me. Verse 21, from that time, Jesus began. Everybody say began. So this is a beginning when it says began Jesus began and what did he begun? So as we know last week Jesus was as far north almost as far north as he ever went on his on in his life. What's interesting is Jesus never left. He changed the entire world. He he radically brought the message of Jesus that has impacted more lives than any other um person in human history, more books, more songs, more literature, more things said, more movies made about this life and this, this three years of Jesus than any other person in human history. And he never went more than 30 miles from his house. He never ventured out too far. He just stayed in this, this area of, of Israel. And so he's in the North in a beautiful area there in Israel that we'll be in a few weeks as we go on our tour to Israel. It's called, um, just drew a blank. What's it called? Caesarea Philippi. In Caesarea Philippi, and it's the headwaters of the Jordan River. You can see where the Jordan River just comes right out of the ground and begins. And it's beautiful, clear, crystal water. And the, God, uh, the temple to the God Pan in Jesus' day was there. And he's in that area. We studied that last week with the disciples. And he poses that question to them. And from this area, he's going to begin. Now, he kind of went there, and he left when all the trouble began a few chapters ago, when he really started getting the attention of the Sadducees and Pharisees and the Sanhedrin. They decided they were probably ready to arrest Jesus and and to kill him. And he wasn't yet ready. His hour had not yet come. So he stayed away from the areas where they were. And nobody was going to take Jesus' life. He was going to willingly get... And he was going to walk willingly into Jerusalem and then ride in on a donkey in the triumphal entry. And so he's north and he's going to begin this, this time of his ministry in life where he's going to make this last pilgrimage. And he's going to land in a couple chapters in Jerusalem where he will die on a cross. And, and it's at this point in his ministry that, that he, he begins to tell the disciples that he was going to die on a cross. Now, now, this concept was so foreign to the disciples, to, to, the, to the Jewish folks. The Old Testament is chalked full of prophecies that Messiah would come. The Old Testament is actually full of two prophecies, two types of prophecies, that Jesus would come, and then Jesus would do what? Come again. Jesus would come, and then He would come again. He would come back. And, and so the first time that Jesus comes... The, the prophecies were that Jesus would come as a suffering servant. He would come as a lamb who was slain. The first time Moses was to strike the rock and water came out. The second time Moses was to do what? Speak to the rock and water would come out because the rock was Jesus and it was the first and second coming. The first time Jesus came, he would be struck. The second time he would not be struck. and we would speak by faith. And so all of these, uh, and, and many, many direct prophecies that God was going to send a Messiah. It was, it was common knowledge. In, in Israel, it was expected. It was desired. You know, girls would play a game in Jesus' day. The young girls, hoping they would be the mother of Messiah. And, and, and that expectation was fulfilled in Bethlehem. And in the Old Testament as well are are, are the prophecies of the millennium, the prophecies of of Jesus coming and ruling or Messiah coming and ruling and reigning as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Well, the disciples in the Jewish mindset of Jesus' day, they had mixed the two together. And they, you know, just like you and I, right? We would love all if That's all we had. I think I would focus on the ones where Messiah was going to be King of kings and Lord of lords. I'd skip the ones that said he was going to be led as a lamb to the slaughter. His face was unrecognizable as a man. Yeah, I get it. So, so when, when Jesus begins to tell them this, they, they just, it doesn't click. And we know that Jesus struggled communicating this to him all the way through, even until after he died. And, and remember John the Baptist. Jesus said John the Baptist was the greatest guy that ever lived, the greatest prophet that ever lived. And John the Baptist is in prison, and he sends a message to Jesus, and he says, Are you the one, or, or, or should we look for another? Now, he knew Jesus was the one. And in a moment of depression, a moment of, of struggle, why, what was this question? What was John the Baptist's question to Jesus? When are you going to get on with this thing? When are you going to overthrow the Roman government? When are you going to set up your kingdom? You know, the disciples were constantly arguing about who was the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You know why? Because they were arguing about when Jesus became and overthrew the Roman government and set up his kingdom, which one of them was going to rule and reign and which position they would have an authority and. You know, Matthew was was claiming I'll, I'll take the IRS, and you know Peter was going to be the head of the of the fishing industry, and on and on and on. So um, we're getting it figured out. Time to wake up. Verse twenty one, the second half says, and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and be raised the third day. So. Um, then Peter said in verse 22, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him saying, far be it from you, Lord, that this shall not happen to you. Oh, Peter, somebody say, oh, Peter, come on, Peter. You know, Peter is like a bull in a China closet. Peter's personality and, and what we learn about Peter, what we love about Peter, too, is that he, he was just like the speak now, think later guy. He was open mouth, insert foot guy. He, he was just the bull in a china closet. But with that, with our, our greatest strengths are also our greatest weaknesses, right? And that personality trait that kind of bugged us about Peter at times. And, you know, it was also a strength. He was the one of the, of the 12 disciples. Which one got out of the boat and walked on water? Peter. It was Peter, you know? And so remember when, when John tells us in his gospel that when the ladies came and said the tomb is empty, John and Peter began to run to go to the tomb. And John was a, was a much younger man than Peter was. Tradition tells us that that Peter was a big guy, he was a fisherman he he was a, a man 's man, and he was older and and John tells us twice in his gospel i don 't know why John feels like he needed to record this that he outran Peter to the tomb like you 're bragging you 're bragging, you outran Peter. You shouldn't be, you know, what are you bragging about? The dude probably weighed 300 pounds, and he just didn't get there as fast as you did. So John, with his personality, and what's so cool about the 12 disciples that Jesus called, the 12 apostles, every one of them, they, they had unique personalities and unique gifting, and, and Jesus used them, and everyone had a little different, you know, version of, 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 of the way they looked at things. All the same truth, just different personalities. And John is like the... You know, he's like the Jacob of of the two, Jacob and Esau. One's an indoor guy. One's an outdoor guy, a hunter. And and John shows up to the tomb and he stops and he contemplates and he thinks about it and he ponders down inside. And here comes lumbering Peter, sweating, breathing hard. and He knocks John out of the way and just runs right down into the tomb. Peter was the first one in. he saw the handkerchief folded neatly in its place. And, and, and this Peter, this is his personality, and, and he pulls Jesus aside. Now, don't forget, right? Peter just had his crowning moment. Every dog has their day in the hot sun. And, and it was a good moment. It really was a, a, a legitimate, awesome, uh, spiritual experience for Peter that he got right. And just a few minutes ago, when, when they were there, Jesus said, Who do, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, oh, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven. And that was that was such a neat time for Peter because he got it right and God was speaking to him. But unfortunately, Peter, you know, he put out his chest and he looked at the other 11 disciples. He's like you hear that, guys. I hear from the father. He talks to me. Jesus just said so. So don't worry. I'll tell you what he says. You know, I got this i 'm real spiritual, and so I, you know I know what the father says and Peter's really feeling good about himself, and he 's excited and then they get to this next stage and Peter says to the Jesus says to the disciples um, there's coming a time soon where i 'm going to be murdered and i 'm going to be brutally beaten, and i 'm going to be given over to the the the, um, um, the group here, suffer many things from the elders and chiefs, those are the chief priests and Peter says Oh, guys, hey, don't worry. Eleven, I got this. Remember, I'm the one the Father speaks to, Peter says. Yeah, Jesus, come here. I got to tell you something, man. Don't worry, guys, I got this. Uh, Jesus, you can't die. And and listen, let me tell you something. When when you're rebuking Jesus, <laughs> there's a problem, right? Like, like, like just the words alone, if you need to rebuke Jesus, Jesus is right and you're wrong. And, and the thing is, so many times we do that. And we may not use that term rebuke, but we argue with God. You ever argue with God? Because you know better than God? Ever beg him in a prayer for something that you think would, that you need and you're not getting? Because you think you know better than God? We do it all the time. And, and then Peter uses this contradiction of terms and he says, he says, for, far be it from you, Lord. That's a contradiction in terms. You, he can't be your Lord and it be far from you. It can't be not so, Lord, as the other one. Not so, Lord. Lord means master. It means I, I'm under you. I serve you. I follow you. You can't say you can't say those two terms together. If he's your Lord, then then it's yes and amen. And then Jesus says, Jesus turned and said to Peter, "Get behind me, Satan! How would you like Jesus to say that to you? <laughs> you know, there's a few things recorded in the Bible that you're like, I'm glad he's not saying that to me, and I don't ever want to hear it." But, you know, he, he's, he's not technically calling and, and, and telling Peter he's Satan. But Peter, who goes from one of his best moments to now being humbled by the Lord, who, who, who he, he comes in his pride and he tries to correct and instruct Jesus. And, and Jesus very sternly tells him, get behind me, Satan. And again, he's not addressing Peter directly that you're Satan, you're bad, you're terrible. But one of the temptations of Satan was to tempt Jesus to not have to die on the cross. And let me tell you something. It's a legitimate and it's a real temptation that Jesus faced to not have to die on the cross. You realize the brutal death that Jesus died on the cross. Do you you think that Jesus knew that was coming? Absolutely. So much so, right, that Jesus prayed in the garden three times. God, let this cup pass from me. What was in that cup? What, what was he asking God to take away from him? The cross, the wrath, the, the, your sins and my sins that were going to be poured out upon him on the cross. And he prayed three times. So, yeah, it was a real temptation that he wouldn't have to go to the cross. And thankfully for you and I, after he asked three times that that cup be taken from him, he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And Jesus willingly went to the cross but he sweat great drops of blood, as it were, in the Garden of Gethsemane. God sent angels into the, into the garden to minister to him because of his time of stress. And so this is a real temptation. When Satan tempted him, recorded for us in Matthew 4, do you remember Jesus, Satan tempted him three times? One of the temptations was that Jesus could gain the whole world and not have to go to the cross. It was one of the things Satan used to try to tempt Jesus because he knew it was an area that, that was a, a real temptation. But there's no avoiding the cross. Jesus had to go to the cross, and he knew that. And so that's why he says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Listen, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. So um, we we, we want to be mindful of the things of God. Now, I want to tell you uh, uh, briefly, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to come up here in the end of this, um, one of the, the things for you and I as Christians, one of the things that's super important that, that's very difficult to, to hold on to, it's something we have to be really intentional to do, it, is to keep an eternal perspective. Paul teaches this in, to, the, to the Colossians, and he says that, um, that, that keep your mind set on things above. How many of you guys keep your mind set on things above on a regular basis? Which means you're focused on your future, you're focused on heaven, you're focused on eternity. How many of you guys think on a regular basis that what you're doing right now is affecting what you're going to do for millions and millions of years in eternity? How many of you guys believe that, that when, Jesus, when Jesus said, if you live and believe in me, you will never die? Anybody believe that? One person, two, all right. <laughs> I know you all do. Jesus said, if you live and believe in me. You will never die. So what does that mean? If you don't die, well, we, we, this body dies. That's not what he meant, right? Like our eternal body, our, our glorified body, that we will live in that body forever. And, and God says in his word, I want you to focus on that body. I want you to focus on that time of your life because it affects and what you do now affects that time of life. And there's a reward, and there's a there's being heavenly-minded so that, you know, some people say, oh, you know, some of you Christians, you're so heavenly-minded, you're no earthly good. That's a bunch of hogwash. You can't be too heavenly-minded. You can't focus on heaven and eternity too much. And the more heavenly-minded you are, the more... Grounded, and, and the more good you're going to do here on earth. But it's a perspective. And we want to, we want to avoid tunnel vision, which is very common, that, that we see our problems. We see today. We don't see our future. We don't put together the, the idea that um, what we do today affects our eternity. And then um, we're going to talk about rewards in a minute. Um, and then it says in verse 24, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself... Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man gain in exchange for his own soul? For the Son of Man will come. Somebody say, will come. Will come. You know how many times? You know, it's, it's, it's recorded more times about the second coming of Jesus in the Bible than the first coming. And Jesus came once and he's coming again. And, and, and it just says it over and over and over and over again in the Bible. It's one thing I stress in my teaching. You guys probably get tired of hearing me say it. But listen, you don't have to be a Jesus freak. You don't have to be a weird, fanatical Christian to believe that Jesus is coming back. It's very clear in the Scripture. It's a theme of the New Testament. All you have to do is be able to read like a child, and you read the New Testament, and so many times you will find that Jesus is coming back, that it's, it's told to us, it's promised to us that Jesus is coming back. And the and, and ones like this, we, even, we just skim right over. For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. Um, We're going to do this. We're going to talk about um, verse 27, and then I'm going to go back. You noticed I skipped 24, 25, and 26. I didn't make any comments there. And we're going to spend the rest of the day in 24, 25, and 26. But before we do, let's get 27 out of the way. Um, So Jesus said, um, look at verse 27 with me if you would. And then he will, what's the next word? Okay, then he will, let's try it again. And then he will, each according to his Okay. Reward and works. So does the Bible teach that the works that you do, there's a reward for them? Yes. Yes, Pretty clear, right? Pretty clear right here. And in other places that that the works that you do, there's a reward for them. So Jesus said in another place, he said, store up your treasures in heaven. Is that literal? Do you literally store up treasures in heaven? Absolutely. Absolutely. Absolutely right. We, that, that's, a, that's a real concept that the things that you do here on earth, they translate to, to a reward in heaven. And Jesus here said that he's going to reward you based on your works. You know, we tell those jokes, that, but, but they kind of really illustrate uh, a heavenly truth. I'll give you an example, and this is a dumb joke. It's just an illustration. It's not about the joke, so don't judge me for my joke. But, um, you know, the bus driver and the preacher die and go to heaven. And Peter is there at the pearly gates, and he's welcoming him in. And then Peter takes the bus driver and the preacher and they begin down the streets of gold in heaven and, and, and they're going through the mansions and they're getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And they finally come to the biggest mansion on the street and it's opulent and it's sprawling mansion. And, and Peter says to the, to the bus driver, there's your, your reward. And in his mansion, as he goes into his mansion, he's all excited. And the preacher, by this time, he's like licking his lips. He's like, if the bus driver got a mansion like that, I can't wait to see mine, man. So they, they take off, and, and the houses start getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And pretty soon, they, they come to this street with just a bunch of shacks. And there's these two boards, and they're just leaned against each other. And, and Peter says, there's your reward, preacher. And the preacher's like, what in the world? The, how come the bus driver got a big, huge, man, huge mansion, and I just get this little lean-to? And, and Peter said, well, when the bus driver drove, people prayed, and when you preached, people slept. <laughs> so, but it's a joke, but but the concept is actually, um, it helps illustrate a Bibl- biblical truth about reward in heaven. That, that that mansion that Jesus talked about in John 14, I go to prepare a place for you. Literally means, and when he said, store up your treasures for heaven, it's like Jesus is a contractor who's building your reward in heaven based on what you send up, the materials you send up. If you get to heaven and, and, and you don't have that big of a reward, it's because Jesus didn't have any building material. You didn't send him anything. That, that's the biblical concept. Jesus said, all your motives, all your works, they're going to be tried by fire. And and, and, the, and in that fire, in the refiner's fire, as, as you, all your works are tested by fire, the Bible says what comes out the other side is your reward. And so this concept of works and reward. Now what happens is the the religion and religion of the world, they get the, the concept of works and um, salvation backwards. And they tie what you do in your works to whether you get in heaven or not. But works have nothing to do with getting there that can only be done by faith in Jesus Christ and on the and believing and trusting on the finished work of Jesus on the cross you can't add or take away to that one iota and if you think you can you're committing blasphemy because you're saying that that what Jesus did on the cross was not sufficient to pay your for your sins and that you have to help Jesus by your works get over yourself really the work of Jesus is sufficient on the cross and and the works that we do biblically are, 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 are important. Peter, uh, James said, y, faith without works is dead. You can't say you're a Christian and, and, and have no works in your life to show for it. it it's, 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 it's hypocritical. If you really have a love for Jesus, you don't have to work, but guess what you want to do? You want to work. You want to serve. You want to do the things of God. It's natural in your life, but as you serve God, there is a reward. There's an eternal perspective that God wants us to have and listen God does want you focused on that reward he, he want, it'll help you today if you believe and and you understand every day that the things you do in this life and how you invest your time your money your 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 resources your talents those are going to translate to treasures those are going to translate to reward Jesus will reward you for those and and if you're me then then you think man i I better get to work or, you know, I want to get to work. I want to do things. I want to, I want to, I want to serve with the right heart, and the right motive, because I I can try to do things to get reward in heaven with the wrong motive. And they're just going to go through the refiner's fire and burn up anyways, but I want to have reward and God's going to reward us for that. That's a very biblical concept. Amen. So let's go back to verse 24. Now I've never done this before on a Sunday morning, but I told you today was going to be kind of wacky. So let me just ask this. Would there be anybody in here who would be willing to read a scripture out loud? Anybody? A couple of you. All right, Darlene. Set, uh, Luke seventeen thirty three. Okay, not right now. I just want to get them ready. Okay, anybody else? Uh, Susan, Matthew sixteen twenty five. Sarah Lynn? Mark eight thirty-five. I don't know your name, but in the back. Um, John twelve twenty-five. Dan, you want to take Luke nine twenty-four? Luke nine twenty-four. Okay, I need one more, Nick. Um, Matthew ten thirty-nine. Has everybody got theirs? Uh, Luke 9.24, was that it? You had Luke? Okay. Nick's was Matthew 10.39, right, Right, Matt? All right, Nick? Okay, all right, hold those for a minute. Now, um, in verse 24, it says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires... Everybody say, desires... Listen, there's a concept that, that you have to want what God wants in your life. Do you remember the guy at the pool of Bethesda who was sick and Jesus came and, 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 and Jesus said to him this very interesting question? He says that Jesus knew this guy was stuck in his infirmity for 15 years. And Jesus looks at this guy and he says, do you want to be made well? What kind of question is that? Of course I want to be made well. And they're sitting here invalid for 15 years. What do you mean, do I want to be made well? But it's Jesus asking the question. So obviously it's a good question. It's an honest question. And it's a real issue for you and I. Because so many times that just the truth, whether this offends you or not, you can blame Jesus, not me. People don't want to be made well all the time. People are fine stuck in their sin and in their misery. And the reality is they, they, they like the attention that it brings. But they don't want to be made well. And so Jesus asked an honest question, do you want to be made well? And I want to ask that same question because it's, it's in the text. And and Jesus said, if, for those who desire, and there's a real intent. You know, I heard a pastor say one time and again, I thought he was being a little harsh, but I think it's true what he said. He said that God doesn't, doesn't um, honor casual seekers. That God is looking for true seekers. God is looking for those that really want to press in and that God will reward and God will respond to that. And I think that's pretty true. I think there's a a truth in having a real sincerity that you, you really do want what God wants for you. You know, I can remember in my life, I think one of the most important things that Pastor Gerald taught me growing up in the ministry was, you know, because well, I, you know, I, I, I would see pastors fall and I would see these weird things. And, and as a young, young minister or young pastor, I'd ask him, i say, well, you know, I realize that I'm capable of falling into those same sins. How, how can I keep myself from that? How can I, how will, how will I know I'll turn out different? And he's just always say that you, you, you have to have a heart that wants all that God wants for you. Do you want all that God has? Do you really have a heart that surrendered and says, I really want it? You know, the truth is, if we're all being honest with ourselves, we probably some things of our lives we want to hang on to. Probably some areas of our life we don't want to give up. We're not really sure how how God would handle it if we put it all in his hands. But if you really desire, if you really seek God with your whole heart. And again, the, the idea that God, God doesn't reward a casual seeker. I mean, the Bible says, Jesus said, if you seek me with your whole heart, you will find me jeremiah's in jeremiah, jeremiah twenty nine thirteen, and so i think the concept is real here so jesus says if you desire to come after me let him deny himself take up his cross and follow me now a cross was a this was before jesus died on the cross first of all but yet it was a, it was a very common at this time um capital punishment in in israel in with the romans Today, we wear them around our, around our necks. We hang them on our walls. But in Jesus' day, that symbol, which is, is awesome, because everything is about the cross. The cross is the most important thing that we can preach, teach, do. It's the cross. Okay, We teach the blood. We preach the cross. We preach Jesus crucified and risen again the third day and unashamed and unabashedly preach the cross. But in Jesus' day, the cross would be a symbol of execution. It'd be like us today hanging like an electric chair around our neck, you know, wearing that around. And and, and so the idea to take up your cross and follow me. Now, sometimes when we read this scripture in our minds, we say, what does it mean to take up your cross and follow me? Well, like if 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 I get, you know, if I get cancer and people would say, you know, people go through death or cancer or disease or some unexpected um, illness or trial in their lives. And they say, well, that's my cross. I just have to bear. Because Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. And that's the cross that I have to bear. But I want to tell you, that's, that's not the cross that you have to bear. And that's not the way that works. It's terrible and it's as tragic as, as cancer and things are. Those are trials. Now, I, I realize and bear with me and, and follow me. Because I'm going to split hairs a little bit. But it's very important. The, the cancer is not you taking up your cross. But if you're diagnosed with cancer... And you, and you respond, and your attitude about that is, I'm going to serve Jesus no matter when, no matter where, no matter why. Those things are not going to rock me or move me. And, and that attitude that we take about the trials in life, the way we embrace the struggles and, and the hardships and the unexpected things that happen, that's taken up our cross. Taking up our crosses is not the, the event itself, it's, it's our response and our, and our attitude about those things. You know, at the, other, at the last uh, men's conference that Calvary did, two of the speakers, one Jack Hibbs and the other um, Pastor Duff at the Garden Fellowship in Palm Desert, Pastor Duff um, was diagnosed with cancer and he's going through uh, 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 chemotherapy right now, he doesn't have any hair, and um, he lost his voice the day before, two days before the conference, and, he, and he's Sick with cancer. He spoke anyways. And he spoke like this. And he, he said, I'm sorry, guys. He's like, I, I, everybody says, why didn't you just cancel? And he's like, but God wouldn't let me cancel today. And the theme of the of the conference was strength and weakness. And he shared a testimony. Of this cancer battle that he's had. And that he was so thankful. Because God had, had, had really matured him. And, and, and God brought him through some, some times in his life. That he really needed. And God protected him from some areas. And, and God did an amazing work. Of what happened as a result of the cancer in his life. Now the cancer wasn't him taking up his cross. The, the process in receiving and believing and trusting. And walking with Jesus through the cancer. And having the attitude of Job. Nobody's faced what Job faced. I wish we could we could unpack just for a second the reality of what this man job went through you, you, you've, if you 've ever walked with somebody or if you 've yourself experienced losing a child and the pain and, and this guy loses ten children in one day. And then the Satan goes back to God and says, well, that's not enough. You got to, you got to flick this, got to flick this flesh. And God says, you can have him all the way up to his life, but don't take his life. And Satan puts boils on his skin and, and, and he's, he's 10 of his kids died in one day. He's breaking pottery in his house and he's taken the broken potters and he's scraping these things off his skin because they hurt so bad. And you know what he did? You know how Job responded? he worshiped god he made sacrifice and blessed the name of the lord that that's taking up your cross the not not the boils and not the dead kids the 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 sacrifice that he made the 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 worship of the lord that he offered in the midst of it and the bible says that in all this job did not curse god nor sin in all of that the other pastor, Jack Hibbs, did you guys probably heard that name. Jack's got a big name. And he's, a, um, he, he's he shared at the conference that for the last uh, four or five months, he's been dealing with extreme insomnia. And, and he's been to five different doctors. He's been to the, the nation's leading doctor in insomnia, and the guy couldn't help him. His body won't, won't receive any of the medication. He's got an overactive liver, and it just spits all that stuff out, and it doesn't help him sleep. He's sleeping like 45 minutes a night a couple, couple times a night. And, and he just kept running and going and going and going until he finally just hit a wall of exhaustion so bad that he just couldn't function. And he's 62 years old. And, and he said that if, if, if he had known the, the work that God was going to do in his life through this trial. Do you, do you know, I don't know about you guys, but me personally, and, I, and I, I think one of the hardest things to do, even when you're sick, when you're not feeling well, what, what's the worst part of it if you can't sleep? Like if you if your back hurts if your knee hurts if you're if you're in a bad way like the one thing that brings you comfort is just to be able to sleep a little bit in the time you sleep. But you you can, if you're laying there night after night after night after night and you cannot fall asleep. I've I, I've dealt with insomnia not extreme but to to a certain extent and it's tough. But but Pastor Jack said what what God has done through this trial in His life. He said, had I known earlier when I was a young pastor, I would have asked God to do this to me in my 20s. He said, "God, I've just pressed into the Lord through this. He said, God has been able to speak to me. He's humbled me. He's, he's, I've had to repent of some things. I've just gotten closer to God. And, 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 and through all of this, I receive it. And, and I'm okay with it. And I'm not mad at God. That's take up your cross, right? That's the, it's the, listen, because all of those other things are unexpected You don't don't have a choice whether you get cancer or not. Did Jesus have a choice whether he went to the cross or not? Absolutely. Did somebody um, force Jesus to get on the cross or did he go willingly? Did anybody take Jesus' life or did he give his life? He gave his life. He went willingly. And, And so when he says take up our cross, we have to do it in the same pattern that he did. It has to be a willing decision that we make. It has to be a conscious effort that, that, that we have and not an unexpected West Nile virus or something we're dealing with. And then um, he said in verse 25, For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his own soul? So Jesus said, if you gain the whole world in verse 26, then we're going to get back to 25. If you gain the whole world and you go to hell, you made a bad deal. If Satan came as he did with Jesus, and don't think it's crazy and only in the, the movies at the Georgia crossroads where the devil came down to Georgia to see if he could find a fiddle player to to have a deal with or, you know, the crossroads where, where Satan makes a, a contract for somebody's soul. Well, in essence... That's what happened in the Bible, right, with Jesus and the temptation that Satan offered him certain things in exchange for, you know, for Jesus to sin, to worship him. And, and so um, in verse 26, when it says that if Satan comes and if Satan say made you some kind of offer, and, and what if he offered you all the kingdoms of the world, which meant all the riches and all the wealth that goes with them? Said you can own ten countries in the in the world right now, makes you a multi-trillionaire. You own the Hawaiian Islands. You kick everybody off of them and build one really big house, yours. You got to drive a car inside your house; it's that big. If you get all that, and you lose your soul, Jesus said you made a bad deal. Let me let me scar your brain today at church because I, I love you that much, and I'll give you an illustration that that you'll never forget. And it, <laughs> but it'll work. It's one I use them with my boys. So I, I, if you had pirates treasure to me, I think pirates treasure is like the coolest thing you can have, right? Like pirates treasure. I'll take the peg leg and the hook arm and the eye patch. But you know, with this big treasure opened up full of gold and gems and jewels, and if that belonged to you, would you trade that for a fresh picked booger out of somebody's nose? The booger for the treasure. Of course not. That's disgusting. And I wish you wouldn't have said that because now I'm picturing boogers. But you'll remember it. But that's what Jesus said. Would you trade your treasure? And if you gain the whole world, you'll lose your own soul. Well, Jesus didn't say the booger part, but that's the concept. So in verse 25 now, 12 minutes left, you guys, and we're done. Um, for what, does, what For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You got that? So we're talking about this great um, um, irony in the Bible that if you lose your life, you find it. And if you try to keep your life, then you lose it. Everybody with that? Okay. All right. Who has my scriptures? Okay, Darlene, why don't you start? Nice and loud for us. Whoever takes save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life will preserve it. Okay. Next one. Matthew 16, 25. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Mark 8:35 Whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. John 12:25 Luke 9:24 That's not Luke 9.24. No, Luke 9.24 says for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Matthew 10.39. Wait, wait, hold on. Why are you guys all reading the same verse? Who, who? You guys got mixed up or what? And you all read the same one. Sounds like it, right? Mm Nine twenty-four. Did I give you the wrong reference? You gave me the wrong. I'm sorry. Luke (laughs) nine twenty-four. So six times. Listen, six times. Jesus repeats the same exact verse in the New Testament. If Jesus repeats something twice, pay attention. Three times. Four times, five times, Six times. What's interesting if you really unpack all those verses. Um, In Luke's gospel, he says that that you will preserve your life. In Matthew's gospel, um, here, uh, twice in Matthew's gospel, he says that you'll find your life. In Mark's gospel, he says that for the sake of the gospel, you will save your life. In John's gospel, he says you will keep your life. Find twice, save twice, preserve once, keep once in those six verses. So if you lose your life, you'll preserve, find, save, and keep. Anybody want to preserve, find, save, and keep their life? Preserve, find, save, and keep your life. Six times repeated in the New Testament. And, and, and this concept that if you, if you, if you lose your life, and, and so I think it's important, and we're going to spend the last few minutes trying to understand, maybe we can come up with a few practical things in the last few minutes. What does it mean to lose your life? Maybe that's foreign to us. It's just an idea. How do we, you know, first of all, I've decided I, I want that. I, I, want, I, I understand that Jesus said I have to lose my life. I have to pick, take up my cross and follow him. But what does it mean to lose my life? How do I practically do that? You know we hang on to life. You know, you guys know, some of you that are familiar with my testimony. I didn't grow up in a Christian home at all. In 7th and 8th grade, my neighbor invited me to an Awana group, a church group, a youth group. It was doing Awana. And in 7th and 8th grade, I, I, for the first time, had my first experience ever in church. And, and I loved it. And I the Bible studies and, and, and I love the memory verse stuff and I was a punk kid and, and, and at the end of 8th grade after spending 2 years in this youth group never went on Sundays we went midweek I went, went to youth group midweek with my friend because he took me the pastor called me aside and he said do you want to ask Jesus in your heart to be your Lord and Savior and I said yes and he said repeat after me this prayer and I closed my eyes and I said God I, I don't want to give you all my life there's still a few things I like to do. And I, I don't want to go to hell. So I want to say this prayer, but I, 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 can't, I can't give you everything. Guess what happened to me that day? Nothing. Because God's not, I, I gotta, I have, you have to be in a place that you're ready to surrender at all. God wasn't willing to take 90% of my life because that 10% of my life that I wanted to keep in, in the next five years destroyed my life. And then five years later, six years later, I was 14 years old. And then I said the prayer, but I didn't get saved because I didn't surrender my heart and life to God because I wasn't willing to lose my life. And then at 20 years old, I was addicted to drugs. My life was in a bad way. I was in a a sinful relationship. And my life was headed nowhere very fast. And I was in a really bad way, and I was following in the footsteps of some folks that, um, family members and other folks that, 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 that I didn't want to follow. And at 20 years old, by the grace of God, I was given that same opportunity to ask Jesus in my heart. And this time, I lost my life. I said, God, you can have it all. By the way, there was nothing left. I said, God, you can have it all. And I, I meant it, and I gave him everything there was to give him. And I got saved at 20 years old. And from that day forward, if I died, I was going to heaven. And I'm going to heaven because, because I surrendered all my life. I lost all my life to God and on that day. And so being willing to fully trust and fully lose your life. And then um, y- you have to come to a point in life where you're broken. And and there's a concept. I want you guys to turn with me, if you will, to Psalm um, Psalm 51. There, there's something that happens in Psalm 51 that you, you, you really have to understand as a Christian. You really have to get a hold of this idea. Psalm 51, King David wrote Psalm 51 after he got caught in the sin with Bathsheba. He, 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 he stole another man's wife. He had sex with her. She got pregnant. He tried to cover it up. He couldn't cover it up, so he murdered her husband. And then the baby that was born died. And then he went and married this woman. And Nathan the prophet came to David and and, and David thought he was hiding his sin. And Nathan called David on his sin with Bathsheba. And David got to a point in his life where he was repentant and broken. And he was legitimately loved and restored and 100% forgiven by God. And God says of King David, even through all of this, he's a man after my own heart and I love him. And he's mine. And I'm going to sit on his throne forever and ever and ever. Throne of David. But David in Psalm 51, he, he's, he's confronted by the prophet Nathan. His heart is broken that he sinned against God. And he cries out in true repentance. And God restores his soul. And he's brought to a place of brokenness. And every one of us have to be brought to a place of brokenness before we can move on. It's one of the themes of the Bible. You know, the Old Testament oftentimes illustrates um, New Testament truths for us in pictures and in lives. For example, Jacob in the Old Testament is a picture of surrender. And do you guys know the life, the the story of Jacob? Jacob, Jacob's name who's later changed to Israel. Jacob has 12 sons who become the 12 tribes of Israel. Abraham, Isaac, and... We serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob's name means rotten, dirty, scoundrel, thief. He, trickery, I was going to keep going. I mean, he, he's, he's a dirty, rotten scoundrel is what Jacob means. Jacob was a deceiver and a heel catcher. And, and all of his life, God chased this guy, Jacob, to, to bring him to a place of brokenness in his life, and he wouldn't break. And he wouldn't break. And God couldn't use him. And God couldn't use him. And then he's running from his brother Esau, believing that he's fearing for his life, that Esau's going to murder him when he finds him. And the Bible says in this kind of weird story that that Jacob does what with God all night? He wrestles with God all night. He must have been a pretty good wrestler. He lasted with God all night before God just twisted him up. Dude, McGregor couldn't even last two rounds with with the Muslim dude. He lasts, all night he wrestles with God. And what's God trying to do? God's trying to get him to break, get a hold of his heart. Well, finally, not that God couldn't have beat him quick, but God was gracious for him. And what does the Bible say? The Bible says that God touches the socket of Jacob's hip and he shrinks the muscle around his hip. And for the rest of his life, Jacob walks with a gangster limp. And and so Jacob, at that point in his life, for the first time as an old man, well advanced in years, He's broken before the Lord and God gets hold of his heart. And what happens to Jacob that night? God changes his name from Jacob, dirty, rotten scoundrel, hill catcher to Israel, which means governed by God, governed by God, ruled by God. But, but it's a picture for us that God's desire for you and I is to be broken. To, we got to come to that place. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the broken in heart. How, if my heart's broken, why am I blessed? But that's what Jesus said. Blessed are the broken in heart. And there's that place of humility and there's that place of brokenness. And and King David, now bring your attention back to Psalm 51. Look at at verse 16 and 17 with me. King David is in a place of, of brokenness. And it says, for you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. Listen, to deny yourself doesn't mean you're trying to sacrifice things. It doesn't mean that you're trying to deny yourself of pleasures and be a good person. I'm going to fast and I'm going to crawl around on my knees when I pray on hard rocks and I'm going to, I'm going to live a life of a monk or an ascetic and I'm going to live on top of a pole for 30 years and eat only rice cakes and drink water and and, and never watch TV and never have any pleasures. I'm going to make all of these sacrifices in my life. I'm going to go to church on Sunday and I'm going to be observe the Sabbath and I'm going to, you know, these are sacrifices that God don't desire. Now, now there's a seeming contradiction because did God in the word prescribe sacrifices, animal sacrifices? Yes, he did. It was right. You're supposed to sacrifice animals. And here David says, uh, you don't desire sacrifice. Which is it? The, the condition, it's a condition of the heart. The sacrifice of the animal is not what God's interested in. God's interested in a heart that, that, that is, is broken. And, and to deny yourself doesn't mean you, you, you know, we, we kill ourselves to make God happy. God's not interested. You can, you can give, you know, you know what people do sometimes they, you know, they, they, they write big checks when they sin. They make some big sacrifice. They, they come and serve at the church and, you know, and, 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 you know, paint all the walls in the church because they're, they're guilty of something and they're making a sacrifice to, to get right with God. God's not interested in the sacrifice. He's interested in your heart. Listen, David says, you don't desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offerings. Does the Bible prescribe burnt offerings? Yes, it does. And, and God does delight in burnt offerings. But but it's it's not, the, the issue is the, a matter of the heart, right? You, you can't have a hard heart that's unbroken and unwielding and unsurrendered to God. And then make physical sacrifices to to make amends to God and please God. God's interested in your heart, not your sacrifice. And then David says in verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. And so, um, back to Matthew chapter 16, as we wrap up. So we are out of time, but I had a couple more that we could unpack. But, um, so to deny, deny yourself, a couple quick quick things. We we can, you know, lots of ways that, that, that God wants, and we could spend weeks on this, you know. And I told you guys in men's in men's study, we've been kind of breaking some of these down. But you know, humble yourself. Number one sin, um, the most egregious sin the Bible identifies. It's the sin that, that caused Satan to fall from heaven. Is pride. And, and, and pride is a, is, is a um, defining sin, which means if you're angry or if you're greedy or if, you're, if you have other problems going on, oftentimes the, the, the root of the problem is pride and the symptom is the anger, the symptom is the greed, the symptom is other things because pride is the defining sin. It's the one the Bible deals with. The Bible says, humble yourself. Don't make the mistake I did and ask God to humble you. I did that one time. I'll never do it again. After that, I said, okay, God, I'll, I got this. I'll humble myself. You don't have to humble me anymore. And then um, being kind, way to deny yourself, simple thing. Listen, for us as a church and us as Christians, it's, it's Bible, you guys, and it's super important. Speak kind. You're a Christian. It's the least that God can ask of us. And it says in his word to be kind. Something that we, we we don't, you know, we take for granted or we don't think is important. Or we don't think is godly and we feel like it's our idea to give everybody a piece of our mind. Simple, simple fact. God says, be kind. Here's one for you. Deny yourself. My favorite one. You know, John the Apostle tells us love one another lots of times in the, in, the, in 1 John, 2 John. Love one another. Love one another. Jesus also tells us to love one another. But listen to what Jesus said. And, and this one you can't beat. Jesus says, love one another. As I have loved you. What? Breaks. Uh. Love one another as Jesus loves one another. Love one another as. How did Jesus love people? He died on a cross for you. They ripped the beard out of his face and spit on the God of heaven. The God of heaven who, with not even a thought could turn him into a pillar of salt. Who could do some. Never mind. (laughs) Terrible things to those people. And yet, in humility and because he loved you, the God of heaven let people spit on his face. The people that he created. The breath that they used to breathe out violence and the spit that they used to spit on his face, he created. He gave them the breath. He created the blood that ran through their veins and. And, and that's how much Jesus loved. And he says love that way. Last one. I'm not going to do it. We're out of time. I got the children's ministry mad at me. Let's have the worship team come up. Close us in a song. Um, let's stand together. Maybe next week we'll talk about. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12. You know, one of the things that. Hebrews 12 says, I'll just tell you quickly as the worship team's coming up. It says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Okay. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, despised the shame and endured the cross. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, let us lay aside every weight, and sin, which so easily ensnares, us, that Jesus makes a distinction between weights and sins. There's some things in the Bible that are black and white sin. Nobody can argue with you about it because the Bible says in, in black and white terms, it's sin. To be drunk with wine is sin. To have sex outside of marriage is sin. To on and on and on, idolatry, fornication, lewdness, lust, these things are all sin. Those, those we don't have to argue about. But Paul makes two distinctions. He says also the weights now, a weight is, is an area that's, black, that's not black and white. A weight is an area that, for you as a Christian, you might have liberty to do it, but it doesn't bless your Heavenly Father. It doesn't bless your life. It doesn't bring glory to God, and it's, it's not a, just a good practice in your life. And your neighbor might be able to do it who's a Christian, and it's fine for them, but not for you. And they may have some different areas of their life they have to deal with. So those areas are weights. But Paul says lay them both aside, the, the weight and the sins, so that you can run your race with endurance. And, and in denying yourself to Jesus. I think denying yourself in this verse that we're talking about. It, a lot of what, what's hindering us is, is sin in our lives. And we've got to deal with those sins. And whether they're weights or sins. If you have them. Lay them down as Paul says. Amen. Amen. As we sing this last song. Just spend a moment. I know it's time to go. And everybody's tired and ready for lunch. But listen. Just give Jesus the next three minutes. Two and a half minutes. And, and spend, spend a moment singing and praying. If there's something in your life you want to get right, you want to, you want to lay down, there's something in your life that's a sin or a weight, maybe a mountain you keep going around, you know you keep going around, and it's time to, you're tired of it. You know what happened to me? I went around the same mountain and the same sin. I struggled with it for so long that I, I was so embarrassed to repent and ask God to forgive me of it because I just went and did it again. And I felt like, man, God doesn't want to hear me repent of this same sin one more time. I'm not even going to, I'm so embarrassed even to ask him to forgive me because I've, I've committed this same sin so many times. And every time God said, I love you, I'll forgive you. Just bring it to me and repent. Bring it to me and repent. Bring it to me and repent. Never be ashamed. It's never too late. If you feel the conviction and you feel it, you're still in a good place. Repent and keep going, keep going, keep going. Walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the deeds of the flesh. Amen? Jesus, I thank you and praise you, God. Lord, we give you glory and honor. And Lord, I pray that now as we as a church are just going to spend two minutes, two and a half minutes praying, each one of us um, spending time personally and intimately with you to repent of weights and sins, to try to figure out this, taking up our cross and Lord, what, what in our life and how can we take up our cross? Lord, how can we have an attitude of gratitude and God, a desire that no matter what happens in our lives, God, that we're going to serve you and Jesus, that we, we are supposed to lose our life so that we can find it. And God, how can we lose our life? What, what a part of our lives are we still hanging on to that we need to lose? Right now as a church family, we're going to spend the next two and a half minutes asking you that question, Jesus. And I pray that you'd speak to everybody in here. If there's a part of their life that they need to lose, they need to let go of, whether it was mentioned today in the examples or not, that Lord, each one of us would lay things down in our lives. And God, we give you glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen.